0: downstairs to the fellowship hall, a reminder for parents, grandparents, uh, to pick them up downstairs in the fellowship hall. Uh, it's a joy to welcome Joel Repick to come and to share with us um, church planting, church multiplication. I never for church multiplication director for our district. It's all uh, working towards multiplying what God has been doing and what he's doing here in Western PA. So would you uh, just give a warm welcome to Joel as he comes to share God's word with us this morning. Thank you. Good morning, everyone. Good Good to see you and I'm so glad to be back Uh, Truly, every time I'm with all of you in Dorseyville, it feels like home. So thank you for welcoming me and my family today. I'm glad my family got to come along, and it's just really great to worship with all of you. So thank you for welcoming us. And I also have to thank you personally and on behalf of the district uh, because this week you guys are hosting launch. That's already been mentioned in the service, whether you'll be able to make it or not. Um, we would love it if you could make it. But this in this room, uh, you know, Thursday and Friday by faith, I really believe that people will hear callings from God and be released into ministry in new ways. And you're just creating space for that. So we've held it in Aliquippa the last couple years where I live, But honestly, um, Aliquippa is kind of out of the way for a lot of folks in our district and hard to access. So this is a great location. And sure enough, I'm really encouraged, but we kind of have a whole new crowd of people coming to launch. And I think it's because this location was made available. So thank you so much for that. We appreciate it, Um, you know, just for seeing a wider vision of what God is doing in our region. Um, as Mark mentioned, I'm the church multiplication director for our district. That means I spend time uh, thinking about the multiplication of leaders and churches. I think I shared here the last time I spoke that the history of the Christian and Missionary Alliance in Western Pennsylvania really is a story of church multiplication that started in the city of Pittsburgh, and there were some years of uh, fervency and prayer and revival that happened in Pittsburgh, and then a movement of churches getting planted. And I've been reflecting on that um, over the last couple years that I've been in this position. And as I look at that history, one thing I noticed was that it was very ordinary people who were getting filled with the Holy Spirit and experiencing Jesus in... Uh, new ways that was creating fervency in prayer and then releasing them to their own communities to start churches. Uh, What happened less was that the denomination, the Christian Missionary Alliance, looked at a neighborhood or a community and said, we want a church there. Instead, what happened was people were just getting stirred, ordinary people who might not have even considered themselves pastors or clergy or whatever, just ordinary folks in neighborhoods started to gather and meet and the Christian Missionary Alliance figured out how to support those groups of people that were developing. Well I'm happy to report that something very similar to that uh, feels like is beginning here in Western Pennsylvania again. Um, I won't go into too much detail, but one of the pieces of vision that we have as a district is to begin what we're calling multiplication hubs in different parts of our region and hubs will base it's not physical location it's a set of relationships hubs are basically just established churches church planters and other kinds of ministries think like after school programs or businesses as mission working together for church multiplication so by the beginning of 2023 we hope to start a hub in the city of pittsburgh not far from you guys and the developing vision of that hub is to see a gospel expression take root in all 90 Pittsburgh neighborhoods. You know, Pittsburgh is really a city of neighborhoods and we would love to see a new gospel expression take root. They might look really different from each other. It might look like a church like this, or it might look like an after-school program, or it might look like a business um, that someone wants to start to serve their community. Could look like any number of things, but we want to see these tangible expressions of the gospel take root in every neighborhood. Uh, At the beginning of 2023, there will also be a hub starting in the Ohio Valley. If you're familiar with the Ohio Valley, think like Ambridge to Bellevue. And then we actually have a hub starting out near the Ohio border where there's a bunch of missional activity happening there in the tri-state area. So West Virginia, Ohio, and and, uh, Pennsylvania. And I have spent, even just in the last few weeks, visiting a number of communities and just ordinary missional leaders no joke, on Friday, I had lunch with a guy, my first time meeting him, and somehow he's going to play a role in all of this. But I met him because kind of alone, just an ordinary guy. He's a school bus driver. But he started this after-school program in Carrick, in the city of Pittsburgh, uh, one of you know Pittsburgh's tougher neighborhoods. And uh, he was showing me pictures of the youth that he's been serving, one of the youth that he's been serving and praying for. Um, got into the wrong place in the wrong time, got shot eight times just, it was like at the end of August. Well, this kid lived and not only lived, but is walking normally and all this stuff. And this guy was just kind of telling me in tears, it's because of the way, you know, this kid has been covered in prayer, you know? Like, God has put some of his own people in that neighborhood to bear witness to what God is doing, right? And like I said, this guy, he's not, like, licensed for ministry or anything like that. He's a school bus driver, right? But he is God's man for that neighborhood. Like, God has put him there, right? And somehow he's getting linked into this movement of what God is doing in Western PA. And I could literally spend my whole time Um, sharing with you stories like that of just ordinary people in so many of our communities. And I really believe that as people say yes to Jesus in these ways, that what's gonna, the inevitable consequence of being on mission like that guy is in Carrick is something called the church, right? Like it could look different from one church to the next, but the inevitable consequence of loving our neighbors, right, is church planting, right? Um, Because people will come to faith, and they will need baptized, and we will need to gather them and disciple them, right? So that's just some of what's happening. I'm super encouraged these days just by what feels like a grassroots groundswell of people who are asking what Jesus is doing in their neighborhoods and communities. And I want you to know that I really believe God has plans for the Allegheny Valley as well, and... Somehow, some way, and I don't even have anything specific in mind when I say this, but I really believe that one of the ways you can identify that the kingdom of God is beginning to move in a place is by noticing where hunger is starting to rise in people. And Dorseyville Alliance, you have evidenced hunger um, to be part of what God is doing, hunger for prayer. And somehow, some way, uh, you're going to be part of what God does in this region. I feel that. So I don't know what it all means, but that's probably why I feel some sense of kinship with you and love to be with you. So thank you for welcoming me. Um, today we're going to be in Acts chapter 13. And I'm reading out of the New International Version. I'm only going to read like three verses to you today. Um might be familiar to you, or maybe not. Uh, Maybe you're brand new to this following Jesus thing, or maybe you're really familiar with this passage. But let me give you a little bit of context before we get into the passage. So, you know, the book of Acts in the New Testament is the story of the earliest Christians after the ministry and death and burial and resurrection of Jesus. The story starts in Acts by Jesus telling his disciples um, that he is going to ascend to the Father, he's going to ascend to the Father, will come back eventually, of course we're still waiting for him, um, but he will pour out his Holy Spirit, which the Old Testament prophets had prophesied about hundreds of years before, and so he tells the disciples to wait in the city of Jerusalem, and to wait in prayer, and that the Holy Spirit would fall on them. Um, well, that's exactly what happens at the beginning of Acts, the earliest disciples gather in a room for about 10 days and then the Spirit of God falls on them like had been prophesied. Jesus had actually told the disciples that it was good for him to be with them but it would be actually better, he says this in the Gospel of John, it would be actually better if he left um, because the Holy Spirit would come and that would be better because Jesus was with them but now the Holy Spirit who is also God like Jesus is God um, would be in them, right? And this is exactly what God is like. It's a story of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, that our God is a God who just loves to give his stuff away. It's crazy. And so he just gives his power away. That's what Pentecost is about, is God's release of power to ordinary people, right? To not necessarily people with, like, degrees or my, uh, my 13-year-old son here, has oh, he'll hate me putting him on, on the spot. Don't look at him. But uh, he, he, um, uh, he pointed out to me, he had never seen reverend in front of my name. And it's in front in the bulletin. And he was like, you're a reverend? I was like, I guess. Um, I don't think about it too much. Um, but uh, but it, this wasn't a group of reverends, right, that were gathered um, at Pentecost. Um, As valuable as that might be, as valuable as training and the affirmation in the church may be, that's not who these folks were. They were just ordinary people, right, who were called by Jesus. And it turns out that Jesus just loves to give his stuff away, right? Loves to give his power to the church. And so the unfolding story after that is what happens when ordinary people get filled with God, right, right? and the miracles that flow from their life, and the way the world starts to get reached. Now, this is, this is an interesting thing. The first few chapters of Acts really focus on the city of Jerusalem, where the final days of Jesus' ministry and death and resurrection played out, and the early disciples gathered until that day when the Spirit fell. And so the beginning story there is really about the apostolic leadership in Jerusalem, Right? And the establishment of the church in Jerusalem. And if you read those chapters, great chapters, um, there really is a picture of a church that is defined by crowds, defined by gathering people, right? By public worship gatherings, public prayer gatherings, Uh, there's numbers reported to us. It's a beautiful story. There's numbers reported to us of thousands of people coming to faith and getting baptized, right? It's a beautiful story. Now, I think, you know, for those of us who are familiar with the book of Acts, our tendency is to look toward the beginning of Acts and say, that's God's vision for the church, right? Like, wouldn't it be amazing? I've heard this so many times in like prayer gatherings or churches that I grew up in. Wouldn't it be amazing if God did that again, you know, if, if thousands of people came to faith in one day, if, if we, we couldn't, you know, we didn't have enough room to gather, right, and we had to find a bigger room, it wouldn't be amazing. Now, I think one reason our eyes and our hearts have been trained to look and to feel affection for those earlier chapters in the book of Acts is because especially in American Christianity, for the last 40 years, It's really that vision that has been held out to us as the single vision of success for any church. How do you know that God's anointing is on a church? Well, it's attracting crowds. How do you know it's successful? Well, there's a lot of people. How do you, right? It's this picture of more people, more money, more, right? And it's kind of, we're getting that from the beginning of the book of Acts. It is a way God works. As a matter of fact, Jesus, at different times in his ministry, did attract attract crowds, right? So it was part of his ministry, right? It's not all of his ministry, which should be a clue for how God works, but it was part of his ministry. And my goodness, if if God worked that way again in Western PA, praise God, right? That would be amazing, right, for crowds of people to be drawn to the activity and work of the Holy Spirit. But I think sometimes what we miss is that Jerusalem, the church in Jerusalem, is actually not... The whole story. I, I would argue it's not even the crescendo of the story in the book of Acts. There's another church that actually becomes the center of the story um, in the chapters right before Acts 13. Um, and it's the church in this city north of Jerusalem called Antioch. Now, here's the, some of the story of how Antioch got established was that eventually persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. You remember the story, the first martyr, Stephen, who's a deacon filled with the Holy Spirit, is, is martyred. And, um, and it just changes the nature of the Jerusalem church. People have to run for their lives. Um, they're in danger. And we learn in those chapters in, in Acts that some of the early disciples, as a result of the persecution, migrate north and they begin to do some things that had never been done before on mission. For instance, they start to reach non-Jews. Uh, they start to reach people who aren't part of the Jewish race. And that represents like contextualizing ministry to a new culture. right? had never been done before. So much so, it was such an innovation that when some of the first people in and around Antioch come to faith... Like, the apostles in Jerusalem have to get a report to see if this is, like, for real or not, you know? Because even then, it hadn't quite sunk in on them. Even though on the day of Pentecost, remember when the Spirit came on and they started speaking in tongues, they were speaking all those other languages? Even then, it hadn't fully clicked with them, what God was up to, right? They just thought that God wanted to work with people like them, right? Well, now the Spirit of God is moving in Antioch and reports are getting back to them that people who represent completely different cultures, different races, different languages are actually experiencing the Holy Spirit in the same way that the believers did at Pentecost, right? And so God is doing something new and something powerful. Well, at some point in the mix of that whole story, Paul is, and you you know his story, he was, One of the persecutors of the church when the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, but by this point has had an encounter with Jesus that has radically changed his life. Paul and his advocate, he's still called Saul here, Saul and his um, uh, advocate, the person who helped disciple him, um, Barnabas. They end up in Antioch for a while, hanging out with this church where God is doing something new. And I want you to notice that right from the beginning, when the book of Acts tells us about the church in Antioch, it's not describing to us a church that is just defined by gathering more and more people and more and more resources. Again, I'm not saying that's bad. It's a beautiful thing God did in Jerusalem. I'm just saying it's not the story of the church in Antioch. Or if it is part of the story, like maybe there's stuff we just don't know from Acts. Maybe they did continue to grow. Maybe the resources did continue to grow. I don't know. But what gets highlighted for us is not the way that they collected people, but the way that they sent people. And that actually becomes the story of the rest of the book of Acts, where Antioch becomes the base for all three of Paul's missionary journeys. In the book of Acts, it's Antioch that he's returning to. It's Antioch that he's being sent from, right? To reach the rest of the Roman Empire. And this is the beginning of that story. That's a big introduction to read three verses, right? But here we go. Okay, Acts 13, verse 1. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, a Simeon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, excuse me, my pages aren't turning right here. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. And and the following chapters are what Bible scholars have come to call Paul's first missionary journey, right? You can just read even the headings that the translators have added into your Bible. You know, they go on to Cyprus, and then Pisidian, Antioch, and then Iconium, and Lystra, and Derbe. And so much of what's happening flows out of them being sent, right, in Acts chapter 13. So some simple verses, but let's just, let's just like pay attention to them for a minute. And notice how God is working in this church. And along the way, I'm going to tell you a few stories of how I've seen this come to life, even in western Pennsylvania, right? So first of all, we're told that in this church in Antioch, there were two kinds of people getting together and praying, prophets and teachers. So prophets, people especially gifted at hearing the voice of the Holy Spirit through different kinds of phenomena. Uh, receiving, and this is is a very biblical thing. It's something talked about all through the New Testament. But people, for instance, receiving visions or dreams or even just having some kind of subjective sense that the Lord is speaking. Um, The gifts of the Holy Spirit that are described in places like 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14, right? Um, This is actually part of the promise of Pentecost, what the prophet Joel and others had prophesied was that one of the distinctive marks of God's people in the New Testament age before Jesus came back was that the voice of God would be distributed widely among God's people. Think about what it says in Joel 2, right? That your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will see visions, your young men will dream dreams, that Whereas in the Old Testament, it was really only a few people many times who heard God's voice that part of the mark of the New Testament church would be that God's voice would be widely scattered. That would be an ordinary thing to hear God's voice. Those are prophets. But then teachers, people who are especially gifted at hearing God's voice in the written word, right? People who are especially gifted at saying, this is what God has said in his word, and holding it out to us as the thing that God is saying. And we know that if the Spirit of God is speaking through prophetically gifted people, and that the Spirit of God is speaking through teachers, that those prophetic words and those things that we learn from the Scripture will come into alignment, right? The Holy Spirit wrote this. The Holy Spirit inspires prophetic words, and he's not going to contradict himself, amen? Those things are always going to line up, right? But nonetheless, two ways of hearing God, right? So people, it's not that the prophetic people don't read their Bibles. I hope they do. I really hope they do. They need to. And, and hopefully the teachers, you know, hear God in other ways besides just reading their Bibles. But God has scattered these gifts, right, through his church. And when they come together, something beautiful happens. So there's at least two different kinds of people in the room, prophets and teachers. But we learn just by the names, and there's more I could say here than I'm going to have time to this morning. We learn by the names that are listed here that this is actually an ethnically, culturally, racially diverse group of people as well. So there's these different gifts that have been poured out into different kinds of people, and they're getting together in a room and praying, and it says in verse two that the Holy Spirit said to them, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Now, I don't know if you've ever asked this question, but like, how did, how did that happen? You know, what did this prayer meeting look like? Like, how did the Holy Spirit say? Like, is what happened, like, they were all in the room, and audibly, they all heard this instruction, wouldn't you love this if this happened in your board meetings and meetings, uh, if God was just like, do this, right? Like, you just got this message. Is that what happened? Maybe, it certainly can happen, right? There's examples of it in scripture, like, remember that story in Daniel when God's hand literally appears and writes something on the wall? I wish it was that obvious, right, all the time. That would be amazing. Maybe that's what happened, But I have a feeling that the clue to how this worked out is in verse 1 when it says there were prophets and teachers. This is what I imagine. This group of people has gotten together to worship and to fast, which lets us know that they've consecrated some time and space in their life to really hear what God is saying, something we should still do today, right? Create the space. They've decided not to eat as an act of creating space, right? To hear what God might be saying. And they're worshiping and praying. I just imagine generous times of worship, right? I imagine in those times, the teachers holding out the word of God, like they didn't have Bibles in their hands like this, but I assume those people with that teaching gift had a lot of the scriptures memorized, right? And maybe they're speaking out scriptures, speaking out Psalms, right, as they're gathered together. And then I imagine the prophets who love to be spontaneous. If you've ever been around these kinds of people, they just love spontaneity. Maybe you're this kind of person, right? They never want to follow the order of service, right, ever. And so so for them, they just love to spontaneously, you know, pour out their, their worship to God. And I imagine that as the Holy Spirit worked among this group of people, a kind of theme or message got formed in this prayer gathering. Like, as they spent time together, it was like, well, well, have you noticed we keep turning to scriptures that say these certain things about God? Or, and then I imagine that there's something emerging from the prophets that we would identify as revelatory gifts. Now, you can read about these again in 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14. But just to make this tangible for you, I imagine someone standing up and saying, you know, I'm not completely sure, but I feel like God has put this picture or this word in my mind. I'm going to share it with you. Um, It's very scriptural. I could imagine someone standing up and saying something in a language not known to the room and someone else standing up and saying, I have the interpretation for that and having a sense that God is speaking something supernaturally to the room. I could imagine someone standing up and saying, you know, actually, I'm hearing these scriptures being read and I had a dream last night that connects to the scriptures that are being read. That's how the gift of prophecy and the gift of teaching Right, are working together. I imagine this environment is heavy in revelatory gifts and heavy in the Word of God. Right, And when it's the Spirit of God putting those things together, they will complement each other Right, and come together in kind of a beautiful tapestry. And here's what I imagine. I imagine these guys who are getting together fasting and praying, that as this played out and as they watched what was happening in their prayer gathering, they had some debriefing conversations that was like, what do you think God is saying? What do you think God is doing? What do you think? And I imagine that somehow at the end, they were able to summarize what God had done among them in this statement. Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul to the work to which I have called them. That that was kind of the summary of how God had been working among them. Do you catch that vision for like what being in God's presence can be like? Um what prayer can be like. It's interesting, isn't it, that a lot of times we just come to God to pray our things, to pray like our lists. I'm not sure if there's even room in in a lot of the ways that we pray for God to speak. But these folks had come together in a way that created room, right, for God to actually say something. And not just to like say something, but to actually say something about ministry assignment to actually say something about what to do next, to actually say something about someone's calling, right? It's why we're going to be in this room, people from all over the region on Thursday night, and we're going to create this kind of space because every time we create this space, and there's prophets and there's teachers in the room, people leave with a sense of being called by God to something, right? They leave with a sense of like ministry assignment. And I I really see these two things coming out of the prayer gathering in in Antioch, as it's recorded here in Acts 13. The first is ministry assignment, and the second is that this is a church that, from the earliest days, learns to release. So, it's ministry assignment, and then it's release, and I just want to say something about both these things, and then I'll wrap up. First of all, ministry assignment. Do we really expect that God still does this today, friends? That He still speaks in these ways, that when we get together and pray, that we might actually hear the plans of heaven for our community, right? That we might actually hear what heaven wants to do in our neighborhood, and that he might actually call some of us to do it, right? To participate in what he's doing. I probably don't have time for two stories, but I'm going to share with you two stories because I love to share stories, all right? So let me tell you two of my favorites that I was thinking about this morning. Um, One was a prayer gathering that I was in in the Ohio Valley. This was years ago. And it was this kind of environment that I think these few verses in Acts 13 kind of give us a clue what's happening. Just one of those prayer environments where no one's in charge except for Jesus and we're just waiting on him and we've created time for him and we can let him speak and let him move and we're not in a rush, you know, that that kind of environment, right, that I imagine that they're enjoying here in Acts 13. And several people in the room started to pray for Spanish speakers in the Ohio Valley. Now, I don't know what it's like here in Dorseyville, but in the Ohio Valley where I live, especially with the construction of the new shell cracker plant, Uh, in Manaca in the Ohio Valley, we've seen a large influx of Spanish-speaking families coming into our region. And our district right now has very few uh, people who know anything about Spanish-speaking ministry or who can speak Spanish. It's actually something some of you can be praying about. We're really burdened uh, for this because the need is growing in Western PA. So um, several people in the room. Um, pray for Spanish speakers. And that was just one of those things. It's like, wait a second. At the time, I thought, I don't know that I've ever really heard in Western Pennsylvania, multiple people pray for Spanish speakers like that, right? And so someone pointed it out, like, hey, uh, we're praying for Spanish-speaking people. Like, let's let's keep pressing into that. And all I can tell you, and to me this was a part that felt prophetic and supernatural, was that this kind of compassion came over the room for Spanish-speaking folks. That compassion manifested in tears. So now I'm in a prayer meeting where we, it's not as if we got together to be like, hey, let's get together and pray for Spanish speakers. You know, that's not what happened. Like, our Spanish speakers on our prayer list? That's not what happened, right? It was like, like God had put this, you know, front and center for us, and now we were feeling something of his heart For these folks moving to our region, and now I'm in a room full of people crying for Spanish speakers in Western Pennsylvania. That had never happened to me. I've lived in Western Pennsylvania my whole life. Never been in a room like that, right? Where people are crying out to God for Spanish speakers in the region, right? And so we spent some time on that and pressed into it, and in the middle of that prayer time, kind of dedicated the rest of the prayer meeting to that, someone, and I would say in 1 Corinthians, this is what's described as a word of wisdom, as as just um, a next step from God. You know, wisdom in the Hebrew mind is very practical, very next step, and sometimes God speaks this way, right, in these kinds of gatherings. Someone said, you know, I've just been watching, you know, what's happening here, the prayer happening here, and I think we should start frequenting this uh, Spanish um, speaking, this Mexican restaurant in town, Aliquippa had never had a Mexican restaurant, and we were super excited about it. And so, so, and hey, if God, like, it's one thing if God says Paul and Barnabas go around the world, leave your friends and family. It's another thing if God says go eat a Mexican food, right? <laughs> like, I'll receive that word any day. <laughs> but someone said, but someone said, uh, you know, I think we should start frequenting this this uh, Mexican restaurant, and let's leave just really generous tips, right? And so we started to do that, like a bunch of people who had been there at this prayer gathering, like God was giving specific direction, right? And a bunch of us started eating at this restaurant and giving these tips. Well, there we met a waiter, and this is a crazy story. But this waiter was, was working at this restaurant because his dad, who had been involved in witchcraft, this is a crazy story, His dad, who had been involved in witchcraft, owed some kind of debt. His dad lived in Mexico, but owed some kind of debt to the restaurant's owner. So this guy, he's 20, 21 years old, is working off this debt by working at the restaurant. I'm not sure if it was all legal, you know? But he's working off this debt, and he's living in this house to work off this debt before he can go back to Mexico. He speaks English pretty good, and we went into the restaurant enough that one day I'm sitting there with my friend and he sits in the booth with us. You know, you notice these little things. It's like, oh, he's feeling comfortable with us, right? And we're talking about soccer and Mexico and all, all of these things, right? Um, well, long story short, it was a f- just a few weeks after that 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 guy, his name is Alan, came to faith in Jesus Christ in my living room, right? With, with one of our young leaders, actually, who had really focused on that guy and was pressing into and praying, came to faith. And then a week later, he's in one of our prayer meetings. I know this is a crazy story, but it happened. That's all I can tell you. He was in one of our prayer gatherings. His family had been deeply involved in witchcraft in Mexico. And a week after he comes to faith, he's, he's in this prayer meeting, and the Spirit of God falls on him. And this powerful deliverance begins to happen. He starts acting like a snake. There's this old woman in the, um, in the gathering who just knew what to do. Praise God for saints who have seen this stuff. You know what I mean? She's like, oh no. You know? <laughs> and, then got it, and got it to stop. And he got delivered from those demons, right? That had been impacting. It's like God was writing a new story. Um, he got baptized the next Sunday, Um, in a church, and to this day, I'm still in touch with him, but he ended up going back to Mexico, joining YWAM, Youth with a Mission. Um, He's still following uh, Jesus in Mexico and other places, right? All of that came out of a prayer gathering, right? Where people had created room for Jesus to speak, and it wasn't even like start a whole ministry to Spanish speakers, that's not what God said. God said, go start eating at this restaurant, right? Because I have people. Does, is, does that somehow contradict the word of God? Does Mexican food contradict the word of God? No. Praise the Lord, right? Um, but there was this prophetic element, right, of God speaking something specific to us, and God took us there, right? Let me tell you another one, and this one involves teenagers. So there's this, there's this uh, community in South Central Florida that I've spent a lot of time in. I tell a lot of stories from there. God's just really generous with his presence among the poor, And this is one of the poorest places I know in the United States, a place where a lot of migrant workers live from the Caribbean islands, from Mexico. And um, they harvest, you know, all year long there in Florida. And over the years, it has been my joy to take teenagers, especially teenagers who are experiencing poverty. We live in a low-income neighborhood. um, To take teenagers who are experiencing poverty to go make a difference in this community, right? Because it empowers them. And so um, over the years, this has just been a place where we've seen a lot of miraculous stuff. I could sit here all day and tell you stories of healings that we've seen in the street, the way God just pours himself out in this community. Well, on one of our mission trips down there, this was years ago, I was with a bunch of teenagers who had experienced a lot of hard things in their life. And we were down there, and all week, kids are coming back, and they're telling stories about how they saw healing in the street. Or they saw God speak prophetically in some kind of way. Or they were seeing these miraculous things. And kids don't forget that. You know, like, listen, our kids might have questions about the truth of what we tell them, Jesus. But I can promise you, they do not forget when they see God work in these ways. I've had teenagers whose life went sideways after they were in my youth group who wrote me from jail, being like, do you remember when God healed that person in Belle Glade, Florida? God will like, bring it back to their mind, right? And, and begin to speak to them. So we're down there with all these teenagers. They're coming back with all these stories, except for this one group of kids that just saw nothing, You know what I mean? So they keep going out and praying. Nothing happens. And they keep coming back. Have you ever felt this way following Jesus? I have. You know what I mean? It's like, how come everyone else has the stories, right? And these teenagers are coming back. They're not feeling anything, right? And I said, you know what? Let's just get together in a room and pray, and let's see where God leads us. This this is real, guys. Acts 13, like, we can do this, you know? Like, let's get in a room and pray and create some space and listen for where Jesus might lead us, right? So we get into a room. And we start praying, and I'll spare, for the sake of time, I'll spare you the story. But what came out of God speaking in that time was that these teenagers, not me, these teenagers, felt like we should go stand under a tree by this apartment building and that God would send a woman to us, right? Pretty specific, right? But that's what came out of the prayer time. So we're like, okay, and I believe that God speaks to teenagers. So we were like, let's go do it. So we go, it's a rough neighborhood. We go stand under this tree across from this apartment building. The apartment building's um, uh, uh, parking lot is filled with people gambling and drinking and cussing. Like It's a rough environment, mostly men, right? We go and we stand under this tree and we're just looking, and I keep seeing this woman looking at us, right? I can tell she keeps Sure enough, she walks over to us. It was exactly what these teenagers had heard in prayer. She walks over to us and she goes, excuse me, uh, what are you doing? You know, standing under this tree. And I'm like, well, Jesus told them to come stand under this tree. You know what I mean? And then a woman would talk to us. Is it you? You know? Well, guys, we found out the night before she had had a dream. And in the dream, Jesus had told her that there would be people across the parking lot ready to restore her. Wild, right? Now, here's why the, she had had that dream. It's because she was an immigrant, had come from the Caribbean islands with her husband and kids, and when she got to the States, her husband, who was abusive, uh, left her. And so now she's in a very vulnerable position, right? She has kids. She's in a country she doesn't know. She's poor. She's living in one of the poorest neighborhoods in this community. But not, aside from that, she was a believer And she felt that because her husband had left her and divorced her, that God couldn't use her anymore, right? She was carrying this shame from this divorce. That wasn't even her fault, by the way. But it's what, you know, she was feeling, right? We said, can we pray for you? She tells us her story. We begin to pray for her. I'm just telling you what happened. She says, it feels like hot oil is pouring onto my hands, And it's moving up my arms. Her name is Mavis. She's still a good friend of mine. I took my family to go meet her not all that long ago. Um, And I said, well, Mavis, what are you going to do with that? All this hot oil being poured on your hands. That day, guys, more than I can tell today, but it's one of the few times I've seen what's in the book of Acts come alive in a neighborhood. The amount of healings we saw in that one day. As we followed Mavis around that apartment building and she was laying hands on people and people would start crying and demons were coming out of people. We saw people's knees get healed. We led people to faith in Jesus just in a span of a couple hours. It felt—it was one of the first times I'd ever seen it at that level. And I was like, man, this is like what happened in the book of Acts. Happening through this poor immigrant woman. Right, who had a dream, but it came. But we got to be part of that story. See, guys, Jesus is already doing this stuff in our neighborhoods. You know that, right? Like, guys, he's already doing this stuff in our schools. He's out there doing it. It's not as if he was waiting for us to do something with Mavis, right? The joy was that because some teenagers spent a little bit of time to hear what Jesus might be saying, right, they got to be part of what God was already doing with Mavis, Right? He's already doing something in our neighborhoods and we just get to join him in it. Okay, here's how I'm going to wrap up because I'm sure I've preached too long. Here's how I want to wrap up. That ministry assignment comes out of this, but so does this thing about release, about sending. Do you notice, Paul and Barnabas, friends, they have to be some of this church's best. You get that, right? They have to be some of this church's best. Um... And this is who they lay hands on. Like, wouldn't it be awesome if we just got to lay hands on and send away the stinkers? You know, wouldn't that be great? <laughs> but instead, all the annoying people or something, right? But Paul and, Paul and Barnabas, this is this church's best, right? And so we learn that what's in the room is not just prophets and teachers, not just different races, ethnicities, and cultures, but actually two other groups of people, the sent and the senders, right? There's some people who are sent to the next town over, right? To the next nation over. To the place all the way around the world. It's interesting. In the Christian Missionary Alliance, I think we really get this when it comes to global missions. But it's also true for the places around us. One of our church planners right now is in East McKeesport. They're from Butler. And I wish they could be here with you to describe to you the sense of sentness they feel not to go to Africa or South America but to go from Butler to McKeesport which has been a sacrifice for their family right it meant changing school districts it meant not being as accessible to babysitters I mean there are real costs right Um, but God called them to this community in East McKeesport right and I believe he's going to keep doing this, calling people in western Pennsylvania for our own neighborhoods, but also for the nations. And, and here's what I want to tell you. there, I can tell you from experience, there is both incredible joy and very real grief in being an Antioch church instead of just a Jerusalem church. See, Jerusalem, I don't know. I mean, they went through persecution, so they have their own hard story. But it's like the, the crowds had to be exhilarating. Like, more and more people, the mass baptisms, all that had to be so exciting, right? I can tell you, for most of my ministry, I've been in Antioch kind of environment. So I want to tell you, there is no greater joy. Like, right now, there are people, you know, most of my ministry was in Aliquippa up until recently. There are people all over the world doing ministry, right, who were sent from Aliquippa. Like, you can be sent anywhere from Dorseyville. Isn't that incredible? You can go anywhere from here, right, in the kingdom. I mean, that's amazing, right? That's inc- when I think about it, it gives me so much joy, right? And yet, I miss these people, just to say it bluntly. Like, I just wish they could have stayed with us, right? Some of the people, I'll never forget, when, when two, two um, people, some of our best, a young couple at the church, came to me. And said, Joel, we're feeling this call. It was to another nation, but they said, We're feeling this call. God's been speaking to us in the prayer gatherings that are happening in this church, and we feel this call. And I felt so much joy, but all three of us cried together because we knew what it meant you know, that we were going to say goodbye. We just had tears almost immediately, right? And man, you see that in the book of Acts. Paul's coming, read his letters and hear the emotion stirred up in him because he's one of these sent ones. And he doesn't get to see everyone he wants to see. He doesn't get to stay with everyone he wants to see. His letters are filled with this language of like, I'm going to try to come back to you. I want to see you. We see him in the book of Acts crying with the elders in Ephesus, right? Because they know they're not going to see each other again. There is a kind of grief that a church adopts when it decides to be a sending church. Now there is incredible joy too. But I wanna highlight the grief because the grief is why we oftentimes don't choose it. Why we resist both the sending and being the sent ones, right? But, but here's, here's why that grief is a gift. I'm gonna close with this. It's because our God sent his own son. Because to know Jesus, right, is to know him as a sent one, right? Um, To know Jesus is to step into the part of him that knows the pain of sending, right, of being a place that gives its best. Heaven gave its best away, right? And that's why we give our best away, right? Because heaven sent its best into your life and mine. Because heaven sent its best is still sending its best into our communities, right? Because heaven sent its best is sending its best into our schools, into our neighborhoods, right? Because this is actually the disposition of God from Genesis to Revelation is to send his best to us again and again and again. So much so on a personal level. I was just praying for some of you during worship. And I I want you to know, like, wherever it is that you experience loneliness, um, for some in this room, I think this is personal for some of you in this room. Wherever it is you experience loneliness in your calling, loneliness in your life stage, you know, just the stage, some stages of life are just more lonely than others. Loneliness in your pain, there's a kind of loneliness that attends grief. I bet I don't have to tell you that if you've experienced it, right? I'm talking the kinds of loneliness that even when you're a room full of people, you still feel it. Right, I, I meant the first one I mentioned loneliness and calling. It's the kind of loneliness that I'm sure Paul and Barnabas sometimes felt because Jesus will call some of you to places where no matter how many people are in the room with you, you will still feel alone. In my experience, it actually is proportionate to the amount of anointing that's on someone. Some of the most anointed people I feel I, I'm, I'm around if you if you you know, you'll see them around groups of people, but you get them alone and talk to them and they'll describe this profound loneliness, right? Of being called to a wilderness place, right? Of being called to a new tribe of people, of being called in a way that the people around them, even when they're supportive, don't understand, right? And here's the good news. It's why we're ascending people. Let me preach some good news to the bad news of your loneliness. God sends his best into your loneliness, right? Right? Heaven gives its best to those places. His name is Emmanuel, right? God with us. Could you come play? Thanks, Leah. Guys, you have amazing worship leaders here. Do you know that? Amazing, yeah. Um, um, I want to end there. Can I end by just praying into this? Okay. Um, If that's you, especially that loneliness piece at the end, I just feel like Jesus wants to minister to that. And there's something, too, about ministering to the heart of this church in that as well. Like, um, my ministry has not been characterized by large crowds of people. Um, it's been characterized by sending, by dispersion. <laughs> it's been characterized by constantly sending away people that God sent to me. And I can tell you, my testimony is that there is loneliness in all of that. It's lonely when a church starts to think this way. But man, his name is Emmanuel, right? Whether it's life stage loneliness, loneliness of call, whatever it is, heaven sends its best to you, right? Let's just close our eyes. If that's resonating with you, you might just open your hands to receive what God is giving